Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, and this is the weekly Spirit Seeker radio show. And 
Spirit Seeker magazine is the sponsor of the show. It's a magazine that is read nationally and internationally at www.spiritseeker.com. We are in our 17th year of publishing, and we are a print magazine in the Midwest, now in uh, Illinois, Missouri, Arkansas, and where else? I guess that's just those main three. Oh, I'm sorry, Kansas. And then uh, that's where we started, but we are growing our readership each month uh, at the online version. So tonight I uh, was to interview Dr. Jean Houston, who is an author, scholar, philosopher, and researcher in human capacities. She's one of the most uh, visionary thinkers that I have ever encountered. She's been doing this work for quite some time. She's written over 26 books, and her latest book is The Wizard of Us. Now, I just talked to Jean. She's been off the grid, which is very typical of Jean. She immerses herself in all of the work that she does. She's a consultant for the United Nations. She's been a consultant and advisor to you know, presidential uh, offices. I could go on and on, but this... Um, when I talked to Jean just a few moments ago, she had just been traveling for 30 hours and has asked for me to do an interview with her later in the week, and then we will air it uh, on the show. So we are going to play a uh, an interview that I did in the fall of 2011, and you will get the essence of who Jean Houston is. But I want to also give her website. It's J-E-A-N. H-O-U-S-T-O-N dot org. She's one of the most amazing people you will ever meet. So listen to this interview, enjoy it, um, and then we will play the other interview uh, probably sometime in uh, in the month of June. But I want to mention that the May issue of Spirit Seeker is out, and uh, we have some fabulous articles, and there is an opportunity for you to win two tickets for John Edward, who is coming to the Midwest. He will be in St. Louis on May 17th. He will be in uh, Kansas City following that and Springfield. So the three dates for these um, three visits that he's doing are May the, gosh, I had it right in front of me and then I missed it. Okay, May 17th, St. Louis, May 18th, France and Missouri, and May 19th, Kansas City. If you know of anyone that is in those three cities, there's an opportunity to win two tickets for each city. The tickets are valued at $150 each. This is a gift from Spirit Seeker and John Edward. All you have to do is send an email to info at spiritseeker.com, and in the headline put John Edward's free tickets in the city that you would like them. Um, and we are going to do the drawing on May the 10th, and then we will let you know um, you know, who has won the tickets. The other thing is, is I mention this now because I um, uh, several things. You uh, can like us on Facebook. We are Spirit Seeker Network, dot, um, just Spirit Seeker Network on Facebook, or Cindy Meyer, C-Y-N-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R, um, friend request us, like our uh, Spirit Seeker Network page. Also, if you favorite the show, it lets Blog Talk know that you're listening. They know anyway, but it's they, they like to know that you're really enjoying the show. And there are over 200 archive shows with just amazing, amazing people doing the work. And so there you are. And, um, okay, so in a moment, Nate, my producer, who works behind the scenes, will just switch us right over into Jean's um, 
interview. So next week I will be interviewing Beatrix Quintana, who is an author, poet, and lecturer and tarot expert. We will be doing free readings on the air. That is uh, Tuesday, May 7th. And then following uh, the hour-long with Beatrix and myself, you will hear an exclusive interview with John Edward from 8 until 8.30. He's one of the uh, you know, most well-known psychic mediums, authors, and lecturers for over the last 25 years. He has helped thousands with his ability to predict future events and communicate with those who have crossed over to the other side. The other thing is um, the other guest this month will be on May 14th, Stephanie bennett Vote, who has just uh, finished her book, Your Spacious Self. She's one of England's leading space-clearing experts and the author, as I said, of Your Spacious Self, Clear the clutter and discover who you are. She has spent over 35 years as a clutter space expert, and as most of you know, I am a feng shui consultant, and I um, am also trained in space clearing, and it's one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself, no matter, even if you think your space is pristine, a space clearer comes in and through nice little tiny tweaks can open the space even more to the energy so that will be a wonderful interview on may 21st we will have margaret ann limbo who's the author of the essential guide to crystals minerals and stones and color your life with crystals and she is coming to the uh greater st louis area she'll be in uh, belleville illinois in june so that's going to be exciting too and then may 28th george and sadina campanelli co-authors of do not go quietly and this is a guide to living consciously and aging wisely for people who weren't born yesterday. So this is for all of the baby boomers, myself included, and how to age with grace and um, still have a presence and, you know, et cetera. So it's really an interesting book. And uh, I'm looking forward to interviewing the two of them. In uh, this issue of Spirit Secure, you will read about meditation. You'll read about understanding orbs by Tom Moore, and he has a really different take on the orbs that we see, uh, and I think you'll enjoy that article. Um, I also want to mention that I am a personal mastery life coach. What does that mean? It means that I'm a certified life coach, but I also have a great background in working with the mind, the body, and the spirit, and I'm gifted clairvoyantly. So... When I do coaching sessions, you get all of the above plus the usual coaching skills, but they're not exactly usual because of the way that I can hone in and um, really, really see patterns and things that, you know, a traditional coach is maybe perhaps not aware of. Um, I've worked in the personal growth industry for over 30 years, everything from breath work to meditation to feng shui to Reiki master teacher. I could go on and on. At any rate, I have a special going on during the month of May and June 2013. If you pay for uh, three sessions, you get your fourth session free. So if you have ever thought about working with a life coach and really wanting to go to the next level in your life, please give me a call at the Spirit Seeker office, which is 636 five three oh seven five seven seven nine. That's six three six five three oh seven five seven nine. I also um do offer feng shui consultations by Skype and um I do traditional readings if you would prefer that. Okay, so I know we are there ready are to go. listeners and here we go. Perfect timing, Nate. Okay, so here is Jean Houston from 2011, www.jeanhouston.org, and you will get to hear Jean again during the month of June when we bring her wonderful interview back on the air, the new one about her new book, The Wizard of Us. Fabulous, fabulous book. Okay, enjoy the show, and I'll talk to you all next week. Good night.
Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. This is Cindy Meyer and this is the Spirit Seeker Hour. This show is broadcast each uh, and every Tuesday evening from 7 until 9. Um, And we are, uh, this is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine, which is published at www.spiritseeker.com. And today I have a guest who is very well known. I've heard her name for so many years. It's an honor and a privilege um, to interview Dr. Jean Houston. So, Dr. Houston, thank you for coming on the call today. Well, thank you for having me, Cindy, and please call me Jean. Okay. All right. So, Jean, you have been on the front lines, and I, I, I can't remember the first time I heard your name, but you have... When you were a baby. No I know. <laughs> no, not quite. We're not that far apart. <laughs> but, but you have been on the front lines doing this work for a long time, and... You know, you're known as a visionary thinker. You, um, you've, you've helped with the human potential movement from its uh, inception. I'm sure if, um, if I mentioned uh, psycho-cybernetics, you would say, oh, I remember when that was published. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and on we go. So I just would um, like you to share with us from the time you started doing this work and where things are now, like, you know, 10 years ago, people, you'd say Reiki, and they'd be like, what is that, you know, or whatever. And now, don't you feel that things are just finally culminating and, and people are waking up more? Well, I think you're right, Cindy. I think there's a tremendous acceleration, literally all over the world, of this work in human consciousness and the redesign of the human being. Because, let's face it, that is where we are. We are at the end of one historical era and not quite at the beginning of the new one, but we're, we're sort of grasping with our fingernails on the cliff of the other side, trying to pull us up to a world that will either be one of such horror and breakdown or really a world of really fairly substantial positive and creative change. And because I work essentially in two eras, areas, not just uh, human development, but also social change. You know, I've worked in over 100 countries uh, under the auspices of the United Nations and the Institute of Cultural Affairs and other international agencies trying to help uh, regions, even cultures, begin to deepen into who and what they are so that they can have the leadership, they can have the the skills to be able to make the necessary changes in our time. I call that social artistry, human development in the light of social change. But my work began many, many, many years ago in human development and probably it began because my father was a comedy writer and we were always on the road following Bob Hope. (laughs) So I went to 20 schools before I was 12. How fun though to meet Bob Hope. I mean, what what a mentor. Well, if if you went to school in Bemidji, Minnesota one day and Biloxi, Mississippi the next, in those days you were in totally different realities. So I had to learn to adapt and to pick up the 
the language, the gestures, the, the reality structures of so many different kinds of people, and that became a fractal for my whole life, you know, working in so many different cultures. And not just cultures, you know, world cultures, but cultures of the psyche, the continents of spirit in the psyche as well. So I have a kind of very long uh, uh, horizontal existence around the world and a very, hopefully, a deep vertical existence in the human psyche. Well, and you have written over 26 books. Something like that. Yeah. I have lost count. Right. And, it, hmm. and, and you started the um, ancient, well, not ancient, but the mystery schools which now they're popping up all over because people are finally awake to, oh, gee, maybe we've done this before, maybe yeah, we can learn. A lot of them were students of mine who went off and then created their own. <laughs> I, it's just, it's I have something like 120,000 pages, unpublished pages that come from the mystery school. Because I write, uh, you know, for every mystery school each month I write a small book, and by the time it's delivered... Uh, and, and it's all typed out. It's 400 pages, so do the math. <laughs> oh, my goodness. To. So yeah. you're just still just totally downloading information at all times. You're well, you say download. I'm not so sure. I fight for every darn word. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I said that incorrectly. <laughs> but, but I wish I would channel my new age friends. Say, and do you channel your book? Uh-uh. <laughs> would that it were so... No, I do an enormous amount of research and, and preparation. And your new thing that we, you know, we we put in the magazine, you are offering um, a free global teleconference. Can you tell yes. us about this? Well, it's 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 really on the awakening of one's life purpose because a lot of people have run out of standard brand purposes. You know, it, when, when your name was Weaver and you lived on Weaver Lane and your kids would be Weavers. And, well, anyway, it's not that far back. That's 700 years ago. But nowadays, you know, we just think of what your parents and grandparents expected out of life. Well, those expectations have collapsed. And we are in a wild new era, uh, a conflagration of both the deconstruction and wild reconstruction. It, it's thus important to train people to deal with this. You know, I work with leadership at every possible level, from President of the United States, you know, to the man who takes care of his leper colony in southern India. And, and I find that too many leaders, uh, surprisingly, have been trained to be white males of the year 1926. They simply have not been trained for present complexity. So my my role has been to train people everywhere, not just in the mystery schools, but in all these different uh, uh, social programs in many countries, to train them to cook on more burners, to expand their sensory and physical capacities, to extend their psychological dimensions, to enter into the mythic, great mythic, turning story that is happening in our time, and be part of the new story, and above all, and deepest of all, to find their source their source levels in spiritual reality. And we find that when we bring people to this expansion of capacity, then they face the world and its challenges uh, in a very different way and with often prodigious, uh, I don't want to use the word success because that's too blatant, but certainly really feeling good about themselves, their life proceeds beautifully into what my Sicilian grandmother would have called Abundanza, which I suppose means abundance plus, plus, plus. But the world unfolds, and they become very useful citizens of the world. You know, Jean, you, um, you're you like a Margaret Mead um, 
of of the human potential. <laughs> well, you know, I was the adopted daughter of Margaret Mead. Did you know that? No. I have a wonderful mother. She had a wonderful daughter, but that was our relationship. And she oh. lived with my husband and I for the last six years of her life, off and on. Oh, you didn't I didn't know that. No, I did not I know thought that's that. why you brought it up. No, I just, <laughs> oh, I'm intuitive. I can't help it. And well, I you must be, because Margaret and I were the closest of friends, <laughs> uh, along with my husband. And, oh. and uh, you know, she trained me. She trained me in anthropology. She sent me out all over the world with letters of introduction to tribal leaders or ethnic leaders. She said, Jane, go out and harvest the human potential. <laughs> well, that's so funny because so that's what I heard me to a tribe in West, in West Africa saying, Jane, find out. These people seem to have no neurosis or history of warfare as we understand it. We'll find out what they're doing. Go live with them. So I sent me off to live with you know, for a while. And indeed, I found out that they were not thinking in our way. I mean, when when they, it was not A, B, C, D, or 1, 2, 3, 4, any kind of rational discourse. On the contrary, when they had to solve a problem in the time I was there, had to do sanitation, they danced it. They danced it, and they sang it. Yay, 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 And then they drummed it, and then they visualized it, and then they drew it, then they talked a little bit about it, then they all had the solution. They were cooking on more burners. Oh, and she says totally... to Bali, and she says, find out why these people are all artists, <laughs> and how can they learn art so fast. Anyway, so in, she sent me to six different regions of the world, and I came back with all these discoveries, this was quite a long time ago, and applied them in our own laboratory in research, and this then became, just grew exponentially, and subsequently, because of my work with Margaret, the UN and related agencies got interested in me and started to send me around the world to solve problems and developed leadership in new ways and wow. that gave me access to a great many uh, opportunities to study human potential all over the world. This is just fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And, you know, you've you've been around the block. You get, I mean, to, to have her as your mentor, I can't even imagine. Um, she was very tough. I can, well, I can see Very, that. very tough. She did not suffer fools gladly. And her notion of foolishness, foolishness was very uh, harsh and large and wide. And she would say things with her ultimate expletive was nonsense, fiddlesticks, with a withering scorn that you wish she had said something even worse. That <laughs> is so funny. Yeah. But you know, some of the sometimes those the, the teachers who are the hardest are the most disciplined, and they instill that. They instill us. discipline. She would say to me, Jane. I need a 40-page paper on stress in the next three days. You get it. And by God, you know, I did it. And that's what set me into the uh, being able to produce a lot of things pretty quickly, you know, Margaret, Margaret's demands. But she was also very loving and enormously generous-hearted. It's just that as the adopted daughter, as, as her regular daughter, Mary Catherine Bateson, who's a good friend, says to me, well, I got off easy compared to you. <laughs> compared to me. <laughs> watching something I, I rarely watch TV but I flip channels sometimes and I was I landed on the show and they were talking about the internet and how um, it's only been really since 1994 and they were joking about you know because at that time fax machines were the rage and and they're saying what do you mean we're going to have an an address at with an at sign and <laughs> and the whole thing and I just I looked at that and I thought that was only 1994 and 
you know, with your work and with your global knowledge, how do you feel that the Internet and everything has affected the human growth potential movement? Oh, that's a fascinating question. You know, it, 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 it's a double-edged sword because the one hand, it has created a kind of world mind taking a walk with itself and has introduced people to so many different ways of thinking and styles of knowing. And it, it, it is the precursor of the next phase, or phase within the next 20 to 50 years, of a planetary civilization with high individuation of culture. That's why standard brand uh, governments and agencies are breaking down almost everywhere. I mean, the euro has gone to pot, as we know. And, and, and part of that is that there is this insistence this deeper movement to a world civilization, but as I say, with high with high access to culture. Now, so that that's one thing. Uh, another thing that I could say with regard to culture, just as in the fourth millennium BC, the great civilizations grew up along the, the banks of the great rivers: the Ganges, the Tigris, Euphrates, the Nile, the Yangtze. Today, uh, whole new cultures are growing up along the electronic banks of the Internet, you know. And and this is um, it, it's resulting in, in both abuse and glory. And we really don't know where it, where it has gone. I, I had briefly met many, many, many years ago Marshall McLuhan, and he was already predictive of these kinds of things, you know, that the medium is the message and that the whole medium of the Internet is giving us access to... Uh, an outreach not just of our bodies but of our minds and psyches that's never been there before. Now, we see the troubling parts of it. We see these kids with transcendental thumbs but virtually calloused by texting hundreds and thousands of times a day. And you wonder, you know, are they really going to connect with anybody? Uh, The fact that we begin to live in screens rather than face-to-face. But I think what's also happening is all this high-tech is resulting in high-touch. Thus, your kinds of programs, Cindy. Thus, schools that are really searching. I mean, one of my main things that I've done around the world is to help schools revamp themselves, uh, put art back as critical to the to the uh, curriculum, um, hands-on, sensory, rich, because if a child is... <clears throat> dancing and singing and emoting and engaging and incarnating information and dramatizing it, by golly, they are not going to fail because they're cooking on more burners. So I, I think that we have this fascinating dialogue between high-tech and high-touch that is happening. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with someone just in the last 24 hours about Egypt. I was there in 2008, and uh, they said, weren't you just fascinated and aren't you glad you went then and I said you know I was in Luxor and I had I went to the spa and I had a massage and you know the the young man who was you know giving the massage had excellent English and I said to him I said how did you learn you know your English and he said watching TV (laughs) watching TV and when we went to like some of these remote you know um you know, architectural, you know, this place and that place, we'd be up and going to Abydos. I mean, we'd be up at like 3 o'clock in the morning in order to get to one yes. of the ancient sites by 6. I know and, it well. I've been oh, in Egypt about Okay, so to be finished by 8 before the <laughs> yeah, masses yeah. came, right? Sure. And 
the strangest thing. Mm. You know, here you are at pre-dawn, driving through these remote villages where there is nothing but on almost, not every roof, but on many of the rooftops, here are these dishes like satellites. You know, they're watching TV, seeing all over the world from their small <laughs> abode. And then when, when Egypt, you know, when they overthrew their leader, I mean, that's basically what happened is they had such communication. It happened through Facebook. Right. And, and Twittering. So yeah. this is a whole new thing. That I think that woke up the world more in a different way. I mean, to me, it did. It was. It was. We need to pay attention because. Well, you can't get you can't get away with anything. I mean, right now we're seeing all these sex scandals oh, that come about because people do very stupid things on Facebook, or or they they there, there's no such thing as privacy really anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's something else. And I think this is going to cause humans to plunge more deeply into their own psyches, which is the great you know, private place, mm-hmm. because otherwise we are exploited and advertised all over the world. There are no secrets. There right. really are no secrets. Now, that's a good thing in some ways and a quite an embarrassing thing in the, in the other, isn't it? Oh, so I want to talk about, and, and listeners that are on the on the um, show, um, we, are, we are not doing readings today, um, but in a little bit I will open it up mm-hmm. for questions. Um, for for Jean Houston, and all you have to do is press one. We'll probably take two to three questions. Mm. Um, but I want to continue with the life purpose because sure. I think people are lost right now. I love the way you Many said. Many are yes. I love the way you said. You know, you know, most people it, they're they're searching. I think I think you know, as an intuitive and a life coach, that's probably one of the main questions that I get. How do you? And these are oftentimes people who are very successful by society's. Um, Definitions, but they are not feeling as if they're doing what they came to Earth to do. Well, I think it's because they're between eras, eras, as I said. And one era in which they're straddling, (laughs) they came to do certain kinds of things. It was kind of an ordinary destiny. But now, given the complexity and challenges of the time, something deeper in their psyche is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're meant for something else. And so you have this sense of <clears throat> dissatisfaction as the hound of heaven goes ruff, 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 at their feet, you know, so it's time to get on with it. <coughs> and that's why you have seminars like mine, you know, that say, let's get to the purpose. Let's get to the higher purpose. It really is inside of you. Let us find ways to discover it. Shall I give some um, a few little uh, tricks to the trade? <laughs> Would that be helpful? Yes, absolutely. And I want to mention your website. Um, you, um, you're, you're hosting the free global conference, yes. and you can find information at destinyandyou.com. Yes. That's www.destinyandyou.com. So, um, and the seminar and that is a 75-minute presentation that people seem to be enjoying a lot. And then it leads to, if people are interested, to a seven-week, uh, very intensive course on, on the Internet. <clears throat> which really turns your life around. <laughs> right. Well, how can it not? And so um, so um, you you talk about a destiny code. Could yes. You, okay, if you could just share with us what, what is a destiny code? What is a destiny code? And I know the pollen... A destiny code you know. is, is the... Uh, it is the entelechy. Have you ever heard that word before? No. The entelechy, it's a Greek word. Uh, it means the dynamic essential being that you are. It means the the great purposeful 
structure that has been given to you as your birthright. It's the entelechy of an acorn to be an oak tree. It's an entelechy of a, of a popcorn kernel to be a fully popped entity. <laughs> it's the entelechy of a baby to be a grown-up human being. It's the entelechy of you and me to be something very special. So one of the things that we do is show people how to get in touch with this entelechy. And once they, this essential being, felt deeply as personal and as presence. And once they do, <clears throat> then all kinds of things begin to unfold for them. Opportunities. Um, uh, awakening vitalities. The aha moments. Uh, synchronicities, coincidences. And above all, <clears throat> a sense that they are on track. And this is, and, and what is called, what we're calling the code begins to reveal itself more and more, and, and generally fairly rapidly too. So the, the the destiny code is held in the body mind psyche as this sense of dynamic presence and ally. And uh, when I say people who get in touch with this entelechy, their life really begins to shift and to mature in extraordinary new ways. So that's what I'm talking about now. The code can vary enormously from person to person. For some, it is a simplification. For others, it's a great complication. For all, it's a sense of the opening to a an adventure in life that deepens their experience and sheer ebullience and delight in living and also offers them the opportunities for a much greater uh, usefulness, and often this involves some retraining, as you can imagine. Right. Hmm. I love the word IntelliCue. 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 E n e n t e l e c h y. Wow. It's almost like intelligence, and then a key to intelligence. Yeah. It's just, I you know, the, hmm. I love words that are like onomatopoeias, like the gloman. <laughs> yes. You know, that yes. just says it all. You say the gloman, and even if you don't know what it means, you yes. think of a, a glow in a sun. <laughs> I'm always fascinated with with um, languages. So, um, so you know, we could talk about so many things. I, I, you know, I'm going to let you decide where you want to take this next because, you know, you've written 26 books, and here you are now teaching in a whole new way, and, and you mentioned the radio show. I had a, a traditional studio um, radio show for many years, and yes. then the station was bought out, and then um, I just took a hiatus, and, and at that time... A few different people would want to be on, the, you know, they would call and things. And I said, well, you know, I let that go. And and then I was toying with being on an Internet radio station. And I, I resisted it for a while because I thought, you know, there's no way to measure how many people are listening. There's no way to know who you're reaching. And the publicists, actually, that I worked with at that time were like, no, our authors normally like to have a tangible paper where people are reading it. Mm-hmm. But this is how much that has changed. Yes. I had a show last week, and I had emails after that show from Ireland, Australia, I forget where else, and then I interviewed an international leader from India, I don't know, a couple months ago. She had 14,000 people on her email list. I had listeners from all over the world, and what they do because of blog talk that you're on now, this is a virtual blog, which is fascinating. So after, um, after the show tonight, anyone listening or anyone who missed the show knows from Spirit Seeker that they can go and listen to it. So so the teacher from India 
had some of her teachers who loved her interview so much that they then would sit and play it through their computers and have 75 to 100 students listening to the interview. Well, that's the way we're going, isn't it? It's like we're all one touch away. Yes. And and it's almost like, to me, the old, old Winston Churchill and different people, the fireside chats, like mm-hmm. Roosevelt. Doesn't Roosevelt, it feel that yes. way? Yes, yes. I knew her, too. <laughs> Mrs. Did you Roosevelt, really? I knew her very well. Oh. My father was Dad's uh, Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt's go- uh, joke writer. <clears throat> but I knew her because I was president of my high school when I was 16. And uh, she lived just five blocks from my high school in New York. And she gathered all of us young people, young presidents together, <clears throat> to get us interested in the U.N., and you know, she said, "What you don't do is, is is what is destructive. You have to, you know, really do what you can do to make a difference." And then she turned to me and she said, "My dear, I rather suspect you're going to have a most interesting professional career. But remember, my dear, you know, as a woman in this time, you can expect to be trashed." And she didn't use the word trash, but it was something like that. But remember too, my dear, that a woman is just like a tea bag. You put her in hot water. And she just gets stronger. <laughs> that is beautiful. Which I have found to be sadly very true. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, you have just had what a life you have had. <laughs> well, that's why my autobiography is called A Mythic Life. You know? Oh, that is just fabulous. And, and that, that has the, the, all the Margaret Mead stories in it, by the way, also. Oh my goodness! And you know, you know all the different books, and you know, and and what is evolving wisdom exactly? This is the, your newest. You're you're a teacher on their evolving staff. Evolving wisdom is a, a a very fast growing company that is devoted to evolving wisdom, to bringing together some of the more interesting thinkers and teachers of our time, to uh, in intensive programs. Uh, seven-week programs, 12-week programs. Each program is like an hour and 15 to an hour and a half and uh, in which very deep inspiration, training, um, exploration, exercises are given. It's, it's like a kind of mini-university and it's, it's hugely successful. Uh, so I, I launched part of it as part of the founders uh, launched it and then I was the first person who was not one of them <clears throat> and because we had such a response to this course that we're talking about, Awaken Your Life Purpose, mm-hmm. that more and more people like uh, Neil Donald Walsh and Marion Williamson and uh, the people like that became our, have just come in. Mm-hmm. Ford uh, offering very different kinds of courses, but courses there are, I mean, for what they're offered, they're very inexpensive because you don't just get the seven Weekends you get live Q and A every week. Oh I have to goodness. be somewhere regardless where I'm in the world. I have to stop everything and be on these hour and a half, hour and fifty minute Q and As. And also you get all kinds of bonuses and extra lectures and it's uh, and uh, forums. You get to be with people in uh, almost on a daily basis if you want in forums where you explore things. You're given exercises to do and practices, so it, it's very intense, and people claim, well, I, I get enormous numbers of letters about it, and they say that it's one of the most effective things they've ever done in their lives, turning them around. It's just, it's just people, you know, people want to connect. I just spent this last weekend uh, in Chicago with the Celebrate Your Life conference, and um, yes. 
they're, you know, I've, I've supported their event in Chicago for the last five years. Yes. And, I, you know, it was, it was very interesting. I experienced Marion Williamson and um, Carolyn Mace this weekend. Yes, and, and both of them are doing work that is not easy for, the, uh, for everyone to, um, how do I put this? Yes, that's a good way to put it, because Marianne Williamson, you know, has always been known for her work with Course in Miracles and um, et cetera, and she has taken on weight loss. Yes, she told me that. Well, and you open a can of worms when you start talking about weight. So imagine (laughs) 2,000 people in a room and Mm -hmm. tiny, tiny little Marianne Williamson who probably, you know. Doesn't weigh too much. You know, I mean, she's just, she's a ball of fire. She probably looks at eating as, do I have to do it really? No, okay, I'll do it. No, I'm I'm teasing. I know she enjoys eating, but that's not the point. She's taken on this weight loss because she knows as a culture we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. The United States is one Mm -hmm. of the most overweight countries in the world right now. You know, it's, um, and then here's Carolyn Mays, who has not written her book, but she is talking about addictions. Now, oh, both of these rooms were packed because people want to learn how can I how can I do weight loss spiritually and how what can I do with addictions because it's so rampant in our society. So I guess my question to you is you have traveled all over the world. Do you feel like this is like these two issues, addictions and um weight problems? Don't you think well I want to, what is your take on this, on both of them? Well, it depends where you are in the world. Okay. Um, in America, it's very, very bad, you know. Yeah. And if you go to other parts of the world, you don't find it. You don't find it to the same degree in Japan mm-hmm. uh, or in Indonesia or in China. <laughs> but it is something that the Western world really has, and especially the United States. I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's much less in Canada. But it, it is something that has become part of the national pathological pastime, I think you would have to say. Uh, television had a great deal to do with it. I think you're the right. People, I just read a statistic that the average American watches four hours of television a day. Now, at least two hours of that, he or she should have been moving, meeting friends, doing all kinds of things, and they're not. Right. It's the sheer uh, horrendous passivity and not moving for which we have not evolved for not moving. You know, we we, we have been made <clears throat> to use our muscular, use our bones, and and so this has resulted not just in the eating issue, but also in the addiction, the addiction to consumption of one kind or another, mm-hmm. be it drugs or sex or. Uh, interesting visionary vegetables, you know, or anger or whatever is the addiction form. Right. So, so with, um, so, okay, okay, how do I word this? When you've traveled in all these different cultures, like you mentioned Indonesia, you mentioned, um, you know, because Thai food is loaded with coconut milk. I mean, you look at some, so it isn't, it isn't that part of it. It's, it's a much bigger, and you know, Japan, you know, has one of the lowest incidences of breast cancer because they just do. They're very healthy. And when a woman is pregnant in Japan, they give them bus tokens, they give them free clinic. Everything is provided for. They don't. They 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 cherish the children who are the future. Very much so. Whereas we've had latchkey children, and children who essentially have been had two parents working and have not had the nurturing. <clears throat> that is really required. You know, in other societies, you have an extended family. If your mom and pop aren't around, you've got auntie and uncle and cousins. Right. 
and you lived with them as well. This whole notion of a nuclear family <clears throat> has destroyed the needed nurturing that we need as we grow up. Right. And so the, these are these are huge issues. This is why I'm I'm one for <laughs> for goodness sakes. We have lost so much. Let's gain more. Not not in weight, but in intelligence, in consciousness, in the activation of our capacities, and of course in deep empathy for others and in relationship. And then we have a higher purpose, and by golly, we go out and do it. And then we're not addicted to the same degree. You know, for you, it's almost, um, you know, with your family upbringing, the way you were in how yes. many schools by age 12? How many did you I think uh, the last I counted, it was about 20. Now, some were pretty fly-through fly schools. But I did have a very great school that I always returned to, which was PS6 in Manhattan. And that was the great experimental school with the students of the students of John Dewey. So they took us to meet the great elders of the time. So, in fact, I did meet, when I was eight years old, Albert Einstein, who I remember as having a lot of hair and being very sweet and extremely vague, as I recall. Oh and I think he had two different colored socks on. But they also took us to meet Helen Keller. And uh, that that's one of the great memories of my life, because our teacher, Miss O'Reilly, read to us from that extraordinary autobiography of Helen Keller when she says that as a child she had no concepts whatsoever. She was like a block of wood because she was so cut off from the world being deaf, dumb, and blind. And uh, her teacher tried in vain to try to help her <clears throat> associate, you know, tappings on the hand with words. And finally, in desperation, she took her out to the ivy-covered pump house and with, in one hand, she tapped the cold, clear water, and the other, she, you know, tapped out W-A-T-E-R over and over again. And Helen writes, suddenly, I knew, I knew. Right. And that word, water, dropped into my mind like the, like the sun into a frozen winter world. And I understood the name of over 30 things before the end of the day. And, of course, she went on to become one of the all-time lifelong learners of all time, as well as the one who helped so many disabled people, marginalized people. Well, with that introduction, we got on the Fifth Avenue bus, and we went to, I think it was 67th Street. It was the Cosmopolitan Club, my fourth grade class. And Miss uh, Keller came in with her companion, Polly Thompson, and he Sullivan had died a long time before. And she spoke to us in this awesome voice that had never heard speech. I mean, it was the voice of the Delphic Oracle. It was the voice of the whale. It was the voice of the Sequoia Forest. And I was so moved that when they asked, does any child really want to come up and talk to her, my hand shot up. And I went, I had no idea what I was going to say. And so she placed her hand with her great smile. In the center of her hand, she, she read my lips. With her fingers, she read my expression. And I blurted out with a child's savage honesty, Why are you so happy? And she laughed and laughed and laughed, and her voice was all over the place. My child, it is because I live each day as if it were my last. And life in all its moments is so full of glory. Life in all its moments is so full of glory. Was she damaged? Yes. Was she damaged? Not at all. She had rewoven the remaining filaments of her senses into a net in which she caught everything. And she, 
And this, I think, gave her her radical compassion that allowed her to do so much in the world and to learn so much. Oh, this, uh, you, you just, I mean, what? Oh, just beautiful. But this is part of your destiny. This is part of your telequay. Did I well, see I it think right? Well, I think entelechy. Entelechy. I think it is, okay. you know, it, it's a fractal. I mean, you and I, if we really wanted to go over our lives, we would find fractals. Mine is that has to do with um, different cultures, being always in different cultures. I mean, I am Scotch Sicilian with a little bit of Cherokee by birth, you know. My mother, Maria Nunziata Serafina Graziella Fiorina Perpetuum from Syracuse, Sicily, marries Jack Houston. I get exposed as a tiny child, as a, well, really as a child, to all manner of cultures in America when before, you know, the Internet, before widespread television, so it was like different countries. I, I go to many schools. I meet many different kinds of people. I'm in the theater. I was in the theater till I was 21, you know, off-Broadway playing all kinds of the, the, the major roles, you know, like the Mad Woman of Shio or Antigone, you know. And then there was the uh, going to uh, Barnard College, which was all kinds of people from all over the world. My high school, also people all over meeting people at every possible level, uh, being given uh, the, the government assignment. The one of the, I was one of the first people to explore the effects of LSD on human personality, quite a legitimate government gr- um, uh, license, and then to do non-drug research, tapping into the depths of the continents of the human capacity, being then <coughs> sent by Margaret Mead all over the world, and from that, the UN, and now working, you know, internationally all the time, both in the inner world as well as the outer world, you can see it is a fractal. It's my fractal return. And I find that if you really look, and this is true of almost everybody, though some people find trouble trying to do this, and it's something that I teach people how to do, if you find the fractal return, the end fractal, of course, is a pattern of repetition with a certain kind of asymmetrical form. So it's the <clears throat> fractal of a cauliflower floralette to be the fractal of the whole <laughs> you know, cauliflower, um, the the the, the uh, of, of a coastline to be effect reflected reflected in the little wave eddies on the shore. But if you look at your life, Cindy, you would see that there are these fractal patterns of 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 continuous return, and you find that when you can surf the wave of your fractal, when it comes storming at you, as it almost always will, you tend to have a lot of momentum and spirit behind you. Uh, have you have you noticed that? I mean, what would you say is your dominant fractal? You know, I've never looked at it this way, but um, I don't even. I wouldn't even know how to answer that. I have gifts in so many different areas. Would you say it's communication? Yeah, I would say that. Actually, so as the core fractal, we all have gifts, but right. what is the core fractal? I would say hmm. communication because yeah. and and compassion. Did it start very early in your childhood? Oh, from uh, you know, when when I first started doing the personal growth work, and I resisted so much of, you know, you you know your family is, you know, basically you choose your family, all this stuff. I'm like, I would have never have chosen my family, absolutely not. You know, I resisted that whole notion. Yeah. And then you know, because I'm more scientific, my background's in science, and then I I I was working on my MBA when I was introduced to breath work, which took me into an altered reality, and all of a sudden, all the years of talk, 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 blah, blah, blah about issues was overrode. And I connected to spirit in a way that I, I mean, from the time I was little, I always prayed. I always had my own way of talking to God out in the universe. 
And the, and the nuns hated me because I'd say, well, you know, I'd ask questions that were inappropriate, they thought. But I was always thinking, like, well, wait a minute. You know, I had bigger questions. So, you know, I think that, you know, once I realized that my family of origin is what really gave me more compassion and understanding, and, you know, I, I've always attracted adopted people into my life, you know, mm-hmm. seeking and not understanding things and because, you know, my father gave me up for adoption. And because he gave me a gift. If I had been raised by him, I would not be who I am today. Um, and he knew he, he knew that was part of the, you know, helping me to grow to be a healthier, happier soul on this planet, you know, and, but yet it caused confusion because how can you have someone who loves you and then they depart? Yes. So so a lot of my soul-seeking this lifetime is realizing that there's no real set form. I mean, you have to, you know, your soul will attract to you the experiences that help you evolve and grow. Yes, indeed. And once you get that, there's no resistance. Mm-hmm. So, well, maybe some, <laughs> but, you know, but you know what I mean. It's much... The, the 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 game of life as Florence Govelshin just gets easier. Isn't that wonderful? The Florence Govelshin, the game yeah. of life. I mean, she was brilliant. She was brilliant. That was about 1941, I think. That's yeah, it. I mean, you know, and, and one time someone gave me this book written in the, I don't know, it was like 1912, I think it was called, The Science of Happiness. It was this little tiny blue book, you know, just the, like not even that many pages. But it was handed to me by someone who had had been handed to him. And he said, you know, I think this book's supposed to be yours. And so I'm reading this book, and it talked even then about when people are angry. They analyzed the breath of people that were angry, and mm-hmm. the, the, the breath was brown and black, what came out of the body when someone was angry and rageful. Then they studied the breath of someone who was coming from compassion and love, and it was a beautiful pink. I mean, how, how in the world did they measure this back in, you know, 1910 or whatever but someone realized that when we're happy our cells are happy when our cells are happy our bodies are happy and it's like you know all of this is there it's all all this is here but we have to be willing to like receive it almost indeed so you do see the fractal then i do see the fractal and i think you're right in communication and in in seeking the higher purpose always in the higher forms so this has been a major fractal that has brought you to where you are today yeah, and every day, you know, is like Helen Keller said, it's like, this is it. You know, five years ago I had cancer, and that was like the, and I was diagnosed in the exact same year as my um, grandmother that I didn't get to see after age six because I was given up for adoption. So, and I knew that was going to be a tough passage. Was, but it, I, was it an Irish family? Or no, it was English and um and Scotch, and then with that side of the family. And it was no one other than her ever had breast cancer. So it was like this odd legacy for me to have it from my father's mother. But it drew me back to that whole side of the family to do more work Mm -hmm. and have more compassion. (laughs) So, So, but that, but that, that wake-up call was, okay, Cindy, you better get back on the front lines and stop this nonsense. I was grieving a death of of my mother and, and a divorce, and I just, took some time and no one else really knew I was grieving because I, I've always been a highly functioning person despite what was going on in my life but but I knew I knew when I it was I had to figure some things out and change well you were born a very strong spirit clearly. I, I would say and you were honed in the fires yes <laughs> of, at a young age that then made you stronger right hmm. and so and so I don't you know I mean there's so so yes I think communication and I think um 
seeking the wisdom and understanding of life. Like, you know, like, like there's just such, um, you know, when people talk about acupuncture, that new method, you just laugh, you know. And You, know, <laughs> you the mean myth- that 6,000-year-old <laughs> myth? <laughs> just like, what planet are you from? You know, but it's like, you know, and, and the first time I chanted in Sanskrit, I didn't know what the words meant, mm-hmm. but I know how they made me feel. Yes, yes. The Bejas syllables that are thought to be the very syllables that are the energies of creation. Right. Hmm. So it's just, it's a fascinating world, and, you know, I'm so glad you're doing these classes. I um, I had barely heard about that, the Evolving Wisdom. I, You know, it, it's been on my radar um, outside there, but not, and I actually think that I've, I, not even think, I know I've seen it, and they're doing really good work. They're doing very good work, and, you know, their outreach is, uh, when they send out an announcement, like when they send out an announcement about me, I think it was two million emails. Right. <laughs> right. So they they have really learned the uh, dynamics of this uh, whole new way of <clears throat> outreach and educating people uh, all over the world. And you know, it's interesting because I get all these letters from people who are in tiny little villages in the middle of New Zealand, <laughs> or wherever they are. And they are hungry and thirsty for this kind of knowledge, which because they're not they're not in the big cities, right? And you know, and now it's just you know it's all available. It's all available. Okay, so listeners, um, as I said, we are not um, taking readings; we are taking questions for this brilliant mind that we have sharing her wisdom with us today, Jean Houston. So, if you do have a question, we have time for one or two questions. Um, and sometimes I know everyone's like, "No, keep talking." So if you are wanting to ask a question that that you you know you're just like burning to ask, press one on your phone, and um, Nate, my producer, will bring you on. If not, we are going to keep going. Um, so um, Nate, do we have anyone with a flag up at this point? I do not hear Nate here. So that okay, he'll he'll let us know if there is someone. Okay, so Jean Houston. Oh, we're almost out of time. I can't believe. The show has gone yeah, by so quickly. So, so uh, you know, what would you like to share with us? I mean, what? I mean, you have so much wisdom. No, no, I think it's more interesting if you ask ask me a question that is so far out and odd that you'll, you'll stun me. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I want to go politically for just a moment. Okay. This is not my strongest suit. All right. Okay, we don't have to. But no, go know, ahead. It's just... Okay, so like like what we talked about, you know, Marion Williamson brought it up about, you know, the thing that just happened with Weinstein and all this stuff, and now yes. John Edwards and all this. You know, and, and don't you, I mean, I, it was explained to me that, you you know, when you whenever you're going um, to a higher collective consciousness, you know, the light will bring out the dark. And it's just one extreme, you know, it's just the other. That, that is generally true. I have often found that the people with the most light are dragging often quite a large shadow behind them. Right, this wonderful shadow work. Yeah. So. So what do you see politically, what do you see is, um, you know, like like Bill Clinton, it's my understanding with all the work that he's done since he left office, it's like he's done more work since he left office with gathering the, you know, it's mm-hmm. fascinating to me that he has the political heads of all these different countries that support his work that he's doing. Yes, yes. Do you know much about that? Would you like? Well, I know them, I used to know them very well because I lived in the White House. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you may know that. I helped Hillary Clinton write a book called It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. Uh, and um, I spent a great deal of time with with them, much more with her than with him. Um, 
Bill Clinton is an untrained shaman. He has many, many qualities, many qualities. And, you know, he's also, believe it or not, a very good man. And who has a certain shadow, which we all know about. I actually said to him around 1995, you know, if you don't start dealing with these uneducated parts of your psyche, you're going to take this country to the world's longest puberty, right? Oh, Janie, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) He starts to leave the room, and she, Hillary, says, Bill, you sit down right now and you listen. (laughs) But um, it, it it is certainly true that to be in high office is to be in a state of being trashed all the time. I once asked Hillary, I said, Hillary, how can you stand your life? How can you stand your life? You are constantly getting these toxic barrages against you. How can you do it? She said, well, Jean, it's because I think every day of all the people and all the things that I am so deeply grateful for, and I just practice and, and I'm aware of, of my the, the gratitude, and that's what keeps me going. And that was one of the best things I'd ever heard in my life, because when you're around them, you see the horrible things that come after them. Oh, I know. But, you know, he was <laughs> interviewed, and I I just happened to see this interview, and, you know, it's since he left office, and, you know, he has the office in Harlem, and he yes, has he does. These He's done great and good work. I know. And so one of the interviewers asked him some ridiculous question about, yes. you know, the craziness that went on, and he, he actually became angry. It was like that Shakti... I mean, I'm an untrained shaman. That is like the perfect description well, for him. Well, the thing is that he is doing so much of his life now is given to great and good work. He right. has done. He has helped so many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. He goes into these dark and horrible places, and he finds out what needs to be done, and then he organizes resources to do it. Right. So when you when he is spending, let's say. 16 hours a day doing those kinds of things, and then somebody comes back from something way in the past, and he's long since, but you can see why he would get angry. He wants to talk about the big issues and the deep things that he's doing. We go through different lives. We die to one life, and we're born to another one. I don't mean his reincarnation. No, I know. We reinvent ourselves several times in one life. He has done that, and, and quite beautifully. So I can quite understand why he would say that. Both of them I found to be very generous, good hearted and extraordinary people. And uh, I voted for her, by the way, <laughs> uh, only because I thought that, well, with the rising of the of the right wings, that uh, she had more wherewithal, so much more experience to be able to deal with this, which she's going to meet. You know, I always feel very sad, sad from this little bum and give say prayers for him every day, you know. But the thing about both of them, or any, I work with leaders of that level, you know, all over the world. All the time. And uh, it is a very awful situation to be in. You have to have the, uh, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, if you're going to be a woman in the world, you have to have the skin of of a rhinoceros. (laughs) And if you're hypersensitive the way some of us are, you know, it's it's a constant bludgeoning. Mm -hmm. So I have nothing but deepest respect for, for, for both of them. With regard to the question of the scandals, I don't know if you know the recent study, the study which shows that as a man moves into power, his testosterone levels rise. Oh, no, but that would make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we seem to have a testosterone problem in our country, too. Every other person, I'm, you know, it's just... Well, part uh, of it is diet, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it yeah. is. 
But, um, okay, we just have a few more moments. Sure. Okay, so the, so the political thing that I wanted to bring up is exactly what you just did. You know, all the work that's being done behind the scenes that people do not even realize is being done. Yeah. And, you know, what it's is... It's also the, a different world. Let me, let me extend it. It okay. is a much different world than what shows up on the media. How's that? Look, what I'm finding around the world, who's doing all the work? 80%, 70 to 80% of the people who are making the difference, who are calling in the projects, who are educating the young people, who are making things happen, because I deal with the, you know, the Millennium Development Goals all over the world, are women of a certain age. Nobody knows that, but we do know about it in the UN. They tend to be, I mean, postmenopausal zest is no mere metaphor. <laughs> But it's these women who have had their children and who are out there and really are not afraid for themselves, and they're they're making the difference. And they are the ones who are elevating and elevating the men to their full potential. Well. well, you know, I live in, in the USA, as you know, and I watch the BBC News. That's yes. where I, get, I I love watching the BBC News yes. because to me it's just so much more um, accurate, so to speak. I don't know, maybe not, but I just love it. I love the I love their take. Yes. Okay, so in closing, I want to I want to mention again you've been listening to wonderful, wonderful scholar, philosopher, and author, visionary thinker, Jean Houston. This is Cindy Meyer. This is the Spirit Seeker Radio Show. You can um, find out about the radio show at www.spiritseeker.com. If you um, have listened to this and want others to listen, it is stored uh, at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Cindy Meyer. But if you just go to the Spirit Seeker site and you click on the blog talk icon, it will take you um, to the site. All the interviews that I've ever done are all oh, stored there. It's absolutely wonderful. We interview different authors and visionaries every single week. Um, the other thing I want to mention is uh, Jean Houston will be teaching three keys to discovering and living your true purpose. And this is being hosted at um, destinyandyou.com. Destinyandyou.com. Yes, destinyandyou.com. And um, you can find a wonderful article about uh, awakening to your life's purpose in this issue of Spirit Seeker, which is on the website on page five. Um, and just, you know, I just want to say what a miracle it is, all of this, you know, th- this coming together. I really feel like blog talk is like a fireside chat. And I, I remember, you know, like hearing as a child, you know, about everyone gathered around the radio. And yet, you know, and I grew up in, a, in my grandparents' home. They never would have a TV because they said if we have a TV, no one will talk. You know, and in my grandmother's house, there was never a TV, and she listened to the radio. So I grew up this way, and I just feel like we're getting back to it, and this is really the touch that you're talking about that has to be added to the technology. So there it is. So, Jean, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Cindy. What a pleasure it is to Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you. And listeners, I will be here again. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much, Jean. Thank you. Okay.